Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hello, and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Arthi Shaw, Executive Editor for Provoke Media and your host for today's episode. So as most of you know, we've extensively explored the issues of diversity and inclusion on Provoke Media, but we've primarily done it through the lens of racial ethnic, and ethnic diversity as well as gender. But on today's episode, we're going to explore the issue of ageism in the PR industry. To join this conversation, we have Elizabeth Harrison, who's CEO and co-founder of H&S, which is an independent public relations, special events, and marketing firm that specializes in building brands in the luxury sector. Did I get that right, Elizabeth? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yes. Luxury and mass affluent, I'd say, but yes. 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 Well, okay. Well, Well, welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's really nice to have gotten to know you better this year and get to be more engaged with Provoke. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about this subject because I think it's not really that addressed. Absolutely. It, you know, it was, we, as, I, as I mentioned, I mean, we've addressed so many aspects of diversity and inclusion, you know, over many years, but in particular over the last. And um, this is this is like one of the, the, the great taboos I feel like we don't talk about. Um, you know, before we go into ageism, I do want to take a moment to kind of, you know, commend your firm on your ethnic, racial and ethnic diversity. Um, and I, let this, tell me if these stats are still up to date. What I have is 70% of HNS's leadership team um, are people of color. And you all have, um, I think 50% of the, of the firm as a whole is diverse. Um, is, that, is, is, is that up to date? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and actually maybe even a little bit better. Um, in the last, as we're, as we're continuing to hire. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of that. I mean, that's something we've been working on for the past five or six years. So it's not something that happened overnight, I can assure you. Uh, it's taken a lot, of, a lot of work to get it there and to keep it there. So, you know, I, I want to I take just a moment to ask you a little bit on how you achieved this, because I've had a lot of conversations with firms who are who have, you know, aspirations, they have, they, they've set themselves metrics. They, usually, typically I'm seeing about 25% um, by 2025. And you've obviously well exceeded that. So would you give any advice to people who are looking to increase their, um, their diversity and not just, you know, in, in the workforce as a whole, but in particular in leadership, which I think it really stands out what you've done there. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I think that part of this to, to, to just sort of um, to level set, I think the types of clients that we work on and the kind of um, potentially the kind of agency we are has helped us attract a diverse audience. You know, we work in lifestyle, we work in fashion, we work in spirits. You know, we have a lot of a lot of fun brands. Um, I think that also because we've been word boutique, um, we've been able to find people with the right experience to actually be able to fill those roles. And then I would say that part of what I think is really helpful is if you hire people who, who are diverse, and that's not just color, by the way, that can be everything. It could be age, it can be background, it can be education, it can be religion, um, you know, gender, sexuality, all of, the, all of the above. And you create a mature workplace, a place where people really get to feel respected and they get to feel that they have real opportunity for training and advancement, that will attract other candidates 
to you. And I would also say something that I have really focused on our social media. And if you go on Harrison and Trippman Instagram and you look, you will see you will see the agency culture reflected in our in our social media. And I think when people are looking for jobs, they're not just looking at the website anymore. They're not just on Glassdoor. They are actually looking at how you are presenting yourself to the world. And if you're unashamed and unabashed and actually celebrating that diversity, why? who doesn't want to come and then join that club or that culture? What was the biggest lesson that you learned, you know, over the past five or six years as you were building out um, so much diversity at the organization um, in terms of, in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned the recruitment piece, you know, because you all do work with such, such compelling brands, but what about ret retaining and then also kind of helping people thrive so that they're promoted um, within the organization? Yeah. Well, we had a very difficult situation come up about five or six years ago that we had to address as an agency. You know, we were at a social gathering and there was, um, there was a lot of singing and a lot of celebrating and a lot of drinking as we all, you know, want to do when we're celebrating. And in that group, there was somebody there, you know, a song came on the same came on that, that used the N word and somebody actually sung it and said it. And I'm saying this, some people think this is like career suicide, but honestly, I think this is a conversation that has to happen and people have to be, have to own up to when you make mistakes and when as a culture, you don't get it right. Okay. So we, I, it was brought to my attention, actually not then, but six months later, and it was brought to my attention in a very, you know, I, I immediately addressed it. And as an agency, we sat down, we had a town hall meeting. We talked about it openly. I apologize for not seeing it in real time and, and addressing it. Um, it's actually over a holiday when this all sort of came to a head. And then we diverted, we actually spent a whole day in not just an hour in diversity training, not two hours, not like an add-on to an adjunct to something else. We took a full day, we brought in an outside uh, diversity you know, moderator, and it was the most, I think, emotional day I've had in my career in terms of people really breaking down and sharing and opening themselves up and allowing themselves to be vulnerable mm -hmm. to talk about these things. And then as an agency, we've committed to continuing to have those conversations. Wow. And I think, and this, by the way, was when we were part of Omnicom. So for those of you who think you can't have these conversations when you're part of a big holding company or because there are politics involved, I would challenge you to, to not let that stand in your way of having real conversations. Right, wow, well, well thank you so much for, for sharing that. And, um, and I think that is a, is a, it's a good sort of learning moment for, for the industry as a, as a whole. Um, and the fact that, you know, this happened five or six years ago, you know, before some of the harder conversations that were happening um, last, last summer. Um, so, you know, let, let's uh, kind of pivot a little bit and talk um, specifically about ageism. So as you know, we do um, our best agencies to work for. Uh, and this year in North America, we, one of the questions we asked was, you know, um, you know, whether or not respondents agreed with the statement my agency provides opportunities for employees 50 and over. Mm -hmm. And only 57% agreed um, with that statement. And that's much lower than um, the number of people that agreed with that statement around gender, race, and sexual orientation, where I believe I think it was 84% agreed um, that there were opportunities for gender, race, and, and sexual orientation. Um, but when it came to 50 and over, only 57% agreed that there were um, opportunities. So Elizabeth, why do you think that number is where it is? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. I think there's been a lot of focus on, you know, first women in the workplace, right? The Me Too movement really brought that to a head. It really, that opened up that conversation for, you know, why aren't women able to get to the next level, to the C-suite? Then we had, you know, a social revolution basically where we talk very openly now about race and we talk about, you know, creating the right workplace and the right culture for people of color to be able to, to move up and be promoted. I think the last taboo, so to speak, is around age. And by the way, I think it affects men too. I don't think it's only women, but I think it shows up differently for women. Um, I think part of it is that with so much emphasis on technology, there's this sort of, you know, there's this sort of stereotype, right? And I feed into it myself. I find myself doing this on calls going, oh, I'm the old person in the room. I don't know how to turn on the Zoom. Like we have to stop doing that, by the way, because that's feeding into this eye roll that you get from the younger people on the call who are like, Ugh, you know, then why can't you try to figure out the Zoom? Why can't you figure out how to get on Teams? You know, so I think part of this is we need to, as a, as a group, as a, as a group of people who are, who are aging, like not feed into that. I think the other thing is, is that I think there's this feeling of people slowing down as they get older, as opposed to, you know, re, and, and by the way, your energy does change. Okay, like we have to acknowledge that when you get into your 50s and your 60s and your 70s, if you're Marina Mar, your 80s, I mean, you know, like the woman never stops. If you have lunch with Marina Mar, if you want to see amazing energy in somebody who's older, she could run circles around most of us. Um, but, you know, your energy shifts and changes and, you, and also your priorities change. But in a way, I think if we could embrace this a little bit more, you know, we all talk about the elders and the, the, the wisdom that comes with experience. So I don't think anybody, even somebody younger, I don't think he's going to say to you, I don't think that older people are smart. I mean, we all know that experience makes for, you know, you can deal with situations in a much better way. I think that for whatever reason, we feel that maybe our clients don't want to see an older person in the room or we feel that they're not adding as much value or they're not working as hard. I, I think there's also sometimes this sort of, um, I don't know, weird prejudice that somehow as you get older and you make more money and you're sort of moving into a different area that you're not contributing as much. And I personally think that's bullshit. Yeah. Well, so I want to I want to go back to something that you said. Well, there are several things you said that were interesting that we're going to circle back to. But one is, um, you know, this this expectation from clients, and you know, working, you know, in in the kind of affluent um, luxury sector, what sort of expectation do you see from clients around who's in the room, and have you ever noticed um, bias? against um, older folks? I, you know, it's funny. I started my company when I was 27, right? So I was a CEO as a, as a person in their 20s. My, my, my business partner was even younger. She was 23, right? So, you know, it's sort of interesting because when you've been a CEO since you were in your early 20s, you kind of learn to ignore all of that. Like, you know, because I think you and I talked about it earlier, you spend the first part of your career wishing that you looked older and were taken more seriously because, you know, your people aren't taking you seriously enough because you don't have the experience. And then you spend the, the latter half wishing people would not consider you too old to do the job. So I, you know, I think the luxury sector is interesting because you have a lot of people who are, you know, maybe the designers are younger, but a lot of the business people who are actually running the accounts are not necessarily um, younger, you know, they're sort of in their forties and fifties. I, I don't, you know, it's a really interesting question to think of it matters by sector. And I'm not, I'm not sure it does. Um, 
And to be honest, I haven't had a professional experience where I felt, well, I had one business, I had one pitch. I'm not going to mention who the client was, but I did have one pitch. It was for a beer company. And I definitely felt like the woman who was running the pitch. I, I felt like I couldn't connect to her. And I, and I do wonder if it was something about the fact that I didn't fit with where she felt the brand was. Now, that's my, to now that's totally on me because there's nothing she said or did that necessarily would make me feel that way. But that was my, that was my feeling. That was my takeaway a little bit from that pitch. But other, other than that, I haven't really experienced that. What I, what I do experience and what I think a lot of women experience is this, um, I don't even know how to say it, but it's this pressure mm -hmm. to always show up appearing younger, you know, always, you know, spend extra time to make sure whether it's what I'm wearing, it's the makeup I'm wearing, how I've done my hair, how I show up. I'm always putting that extra effort in to make sure that I look as great as I can be. And maybe that is, I, I think when I was in my twenties and thirties, it probably didn't take as long. It was probably a little bit easier. Um, but I think that that's where I feel like there is this pressure, you know, if I, especially if I walk into like a big advertising, you know, if I'm in an IAT and I walk in and there's people from, you know, all these different agencies, I always want to make sure that I, I look as young as I can. And, and why is that? Why do I feel that pressure? Do you think the last 12 months have changed that at all? I mean, I, I noticed at the beginning of the pandemic, people were showing up on Zoom and their office shirts and, and by the end of it, you know, or, you know, or at least over the last few months that's shifted. And, and there is, I think there's, people are showing up more authentically and, and, and I'm, so I, I don't know. I mean, do you think we're going to swing back to that or um, I don't know, like, <laughs> I think Zoom may have, may have, may have changed the way people are showing up and the pressure that they feel to look a certain way. I don't know. Cause the camera is, you know, constantly on you. And I, and I have noticed that certain people are very uncomfortable with being on camera. And I believe it has something to do with the fact that they don't want to look at themselves in when they're on camera. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, you, there's a lot of articles that are being written right now about that plastic surgery is way up, mm -hmm. that people are actually um, more concerned with how they look because they've spent a whole year looking at themselves. I think that they potentially the way you're dressing, you know, we have a more casual atmosphere now in terms of you know, you can show up for a meeting and men aren't in suits and ties. You know, people right. are wearing maybe a sweatshirt or, you know, I've actually talked to some of the younger people in my agency about the fact that if you are on a client facing call, I don't think wearing fleece is appropriate. Like I think, you know, you should probably put a little bit of effort into it. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not wholly convinced that, that Zoom calls and team calls and being on camera 24 seven is helping this. Yes, yeah, that's a good point. And you know, it's interesting because when you think about the casual, like you mentioned, like people dress more casually, that in some ways is associated with youth, right? Um, and, you know, even, you know, I, I talk speaking from the Bay Area, right? I mean, you know, you see 50 year old men in hoodies, right? I mean, that's that's just yeah. the culture. And baseball caps. Um, yeah, and baseball hats, right? I mean, and and um, so, yeah, I mean, in some ways I think we've come to associate even this, this sort of casual style of dressing with, with youth. Um, I think young people today, I've heard people say, you know, they don't own a suit, right? You know, I think when I graduated from college, it was the first thing, you know, everybody, you have a suit, right? And, um, and now I think people don't even, don't even have many people, depending on what sector you work in, don't have suits. So, you know, you had mentioned also that this is more acute for women. And I'd love to break that down a little further in terms of how this 
what what your observations have been in terms of what the challenges are for women versus men. I think we talked a little bit about with women, it's you know always this pressure to look as young as possible. Um, what about with men? Like, how do you think this 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 shows up for men? I mean, I think that I you know look, I think there's pressure on men now more than ever too to look good. Like, I think that the days where you could get away with you know looking like crap. You know, I, I think I think there's more of an expectation around everybody with how they look. Um, I think men still, uh, you know, men can still have wrinkles, men can have gray hair, and it sort of still gives them a gravitas. Although I would say, with everything going on right now, you know, to be a white middle-aged man is also not so easy. Um, potentially, I think that you, I I think that it's inherent in our society and the way we're brought up that we just judge the way men and women look a little bit differently. Right. And I do think that, um, I think even men would admit, I think women are also more fixated on it. I think yeah. you know, women yeah. definitely are, they, we don't help ourselves by constantly looking for the holy grail of, you know, whether it's skincare or how we look or right. our hair. Um, but I, but I also think, you know, and this is very honest, but when you walk into the room as a 30 year old or a 40 year old, even, uh, the men in the room, the men in the room and, and the women, you're greeted differently. I think you have to fight a little bit harder for recognition when you walk in older. And you have to use, there's different, um, you know, and again, this is maybe not gonna be popular with some people listening, but most, most women have learned to, I don't wanna say trade on how they look, but if you're an attractive woman and you walk into a room, it's a different way of owning a room when you're a young woman versus when you're older. And in some ways, I think for me, I've been able to embrace, you know, I certainly still want to look great. I want to look young. I still, you know, I color my hair. I do things to make myself look as good as I can. I love great clothes. You know, I'm always going to, that's going to be important to me, right? But I have realized that how I approach room is, in, in a way, I can be taken even more seriously, actually, which is the upside of being an older woman, because people are not distracted necessarily by other things, they're really listening to you and what you're saying, what you're bringing to the table. Right, right, and at that point you make about gravitas that like men with gray hair bring into a room. Um, do you think that, that so from what you're saying, like that doesn't exist in the same way for women? The gravitas about about how you're perceived when you're well, older? Yeah, like when, like, you know, a, a, a gray haired man walks into a room and people sort of assume that he's, He's the most important. He's the most powerful man in the room, or he's the most important person in the room, right? And I don't think that necessarily translates to a woman, a, a senior woman. I think it depends on her executive presence and how she brings herself into that room. And that—that's what I would encourage any woman over fifty is to own it. You know, like own that, own that, own own your age, own your experience, own the fact that most of us, by the time we're at a certain age, we don't care as much about what people think about us. Like, you know, we're, we, of course we care because we're, that's how we're built, but you can walk into the room and own the room the same way that, that a man can. And I, I just, I think some women maybe don't, but I think if you have the confidence, you can be the most powerful woman. You can be the most powerful person in the room because women are super powerful. Yeah. I think this, this perception and confidence is something that women of all ages seem to grapple with in the conversations I've had. Like you said, I mean, if you if you look younger, then you have to work extra hard to when you walk into that room to command presence, so people realize that you 
you are someone who should, you know, who should be listened to. And again, the same thing if, if you're older. And I, it seems to plague women at, at all in all aspects of their career. And part of it is, I think women have traditionally had to work harder to be heard, right, in, in, in corporate environments and to be taken seriously and for their ideas to be considered, um, you know, as important as, as men's. So, you know, speaking of women over 50, I do want to take a moment to talk about menopause. And, and you know, we spend so, I've had so many conversations with agencies, leaders about, you know, parental leave, about, um, you know, mothers, right? And and I there's this next phase of a woman's life um, with menopause that I feel like we haven't, I haven't had a conversation with. Um, so I'm curious to hear, you know, how that should fit into agency policy and, and, and even workplace structure. Like, should there be accommodations made um, that agencies maybe aren't thinking about? Well, I, you know, menopause is something that nobody talks about, you know, and even I have, I've, you know, I have, a, I have a very close relation. I still have a very close relationship with my mother. You know, she had me very young, so she's pretty young. Um, and, Weirdly, we talked about everything else except for menopause. So when I turned 50 and I and that happened to me, I didn't know what the hell was going on, to be honest. And so I started to research and, you know, talk. And even there aren't even a lot of great doctors who really specialize in, in hormonal therapy because it's not it's a very under um, underpaid research uh, area. So there hasn't been a tremendous amount of research done into how that affects a woman's brain and, a, and her body. Um, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, I was telling you, I was reading a book and in it, a woman in her thirties was talking, who was now older, was talking about how she watched uh, an older woman in a boardroom have a heat flash mm -hmm. and that she didn't really understand what was going on. And that in retrospect, she wished that she had like gone and gotten a woman to put the towel or turn up the air conditioning, you know, because your body fluctuates, right? So the same way when you're a young mother, and you might be breastfeeding and you, you know, you're in the office for the first time and all of a sudden you can feel you're, you're, you know, you're leaking, you know, that's like a very uncomfortable feeling. Right. But I think that we have talked about that more and we've made more accommodation. So I don't know if there's, I think it's, it's, it's a compassion piece, right? It's just understanding that as women, you know, go in their fifties and sixties and people go through perimenopause sometimes in their forties. Mm -hmm. So you might even have worse symptoms when you're younger before you actually go into full menopause. And I think it's just being able to have that discussion in the workplace um, and be able to, you know, go to your, well, usually you're probably the boss, but be able to explain maybe why you're having mood swings or, you know, why you are, you need to turn the air conditioning up. You know, it used to be, it's funny because when you're younger, younger women are always freezing because the air conditioning was always turned up because of men in their suits. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you get older, you're like, oh, you're happy about the air conditioning being turned yeah. up. You know, and, and I also wonder if, you know, as, as companies have more of a hybrid working model um, where there is more work from home, if that sort of gives people a little bit of space to, to manage things that are happening, um, in a more private way that's more comfortable for them. Um, you know, speaking for younger women, right? A lot of women, you know, they end up opting to work from home because there are things and, in, in, you know, your body is different after you have a baby. And um, to your point about lactating, right? I mean, as much as people can, you know, for, you know, for years just braved it through and just dealt with all of these things in the in office setting, I don't know. I, I think what's part of this pandemic, people are wondering, well, do I really need to do that in an office setting? Like if I'm having a day where, you know, lactation's an issue, I can work from home and, and I don't have to have uncomfortable moments in an office. And I, 
I wonder, you know, you know, for people, you know, with various, you know, everyone has, is, has stuff that they're dealing with, right? Um, if that working from home, at least partially gives people kind of the space to, to manage that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the reasons that it's so popular and will probably continue to be after, after, as we crawl out of this pandemic. So another question I wanted to ask you about is um, agency culture. So, you know, I, I speak to a lot of agency leaders, um, both for agencies of the year and best agencies to work for. And of course, culture is a big part of the conversation. And I will say it's, this has changed a bit, but there was a time where ent entire agency cultures were built around happy hours and bar carts and, and really youth-centric activities. I have seen a shift um, a bit more towards sort of wellness in the last few years, you know, collective yoga classes and, you know, instead of after work happy hour, let's do a spin class together or things like that. But it still does seem pretty pegged towards what young people are probably looking for in culture um, versus what more seasoned employees are looking for. And do you think that's part of the reason that older employees either you know, don't feel comfortable at an agency or don't really want to stay? Um, I actually had, it was a man that told me this when um, he, longtime agency man went in-house and I asked him, I said, so why'd you go in-house? And he said, he's like, everything about an agency is a young person's game. <laughs> and um, <laughs> So, so yeah, I'm curious to hear your, your take on that. That's actually super funny. Um, you know, I think the reason why you, why I, you know, we've worked a lot on our culture. I mean, I, I'd say this very publicly, um, but you know, when we started our agency, everybody was in their twenties. I mean, literally everybody, I had 50 young women, mostly white working for me who were all like literally in their twenties. So of course, Culture for us meant going out and then drinking. It meant, you know, partying. I think that as agencies mature, and I think we've matured as an agency, you know, it's been really interesting to now have, I have three, yeah, I have three young women who gave birth during COVID. So I have now three young moms, right? So what those young moms want to do is not sit at six o'clock when they have to feed their kids, um, you know, on a, on a call, on a Zoom, you know, cocktail hour. Like, it's not interested, right? You know? Right. Um, so, like, we've done things like we've adjusted our staff meeting. Like, our staff meeting was always at five o'clock. So, a couple of people said, you know, it's a really hard time for us because we got to get our kids ready for bed or we're doing this. So, we, you know, we took our staff meeting to four o'clock. And actually, it's a little, little tweak, but it's made a big difference for people who, you know, really that was affecting how they were, you know, their evening was going, right? The other thing we've done is like, we have one of our most popular culture things is our book club. And book club is great because we start it late. So people can put their kids to bed or whatever. Anybody who wants to, we always have like a signature cocktail or a meal that people can cook. So if you want to have a drink at our book club, you're welcome to have a drink. But if you don't want to have a drink, it's fine too. We all hang out. It's an amazing hour. It's one of my favorite things to do with my staff. And what I love about it is, is we always pick really interesting books and we have people who are coordinators who I maybe don't talk to as much, particularly now that we're not in the office, to you know some of my most senior people who join that. Um, one of the other things is mental health. I don't know if you've seen our newsletters going out next week, but mental health is hugely important to us. So from a cultural perspective, we have now um, no emails after seven, which yeah. I think has really helped. And we also are doing a mental health day this Friday. So we've given the whole agency the day off to just be able to do something for themselves, whether it's meditate or take a class or spend time with your family, because we feel like burnout is real right? and people are super uh, burned out. 
And we've also now instituted a no meetings on Fridays. So again, I think that's like a really nice way to give people a chance to celebrate with each other or not have to like be on 12 Zoom calls. Right. So I would say those are like agency culture things that we've done. Um, we also like a big part of our culture is lunch and learns. Mm -hmm. And those can be done from like, like I just had a young woman yesterday. She's a AAE tell me, you know what? I'm really into melt. <laughs> I'm really into meltwater. I'm really into like, I'm like one of the few people in the agency knows how to do it. And I was like, Caroline, you should do a lunch and learn. Like we'll bring everybody together. You can show them how to do it. She just like lit up yeah. because it's like an opportunity for her to like connect with the agency in like a different, different way. Um, and then, yeah, we do, we, tomorrow actually, um, one of our young moms is coming in from Maryland and because we have such great clients. So we, you know, Arlo is, is a client we've worked with. So we're taking over the rooftop in Soho and we're having like, but again, we're starting at four, right? So right. it's like, yes, people will have cocktails and drinks, but they're also going to have a chance to, people are bringing their babies, they're bringing their significant others. And we're going to have like this really nice time. So I think like the days of like, I look, I think people still want to let loose. There'll still be karaoke nights. There's still going to be Christmas yep. parties, but I also think we're living in a different time where people have to be a lot more careful. So I think the days of everybody going out and getting shit-faced at a party and making inappropriate passes at each other and right. the next day everybody's talking about it, like, I kind of think that's over. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe agencies are also shifting yeah. into um, a different type of culture where, you know, it's, and, and one other thing I'll say that I've done for my senior staff that for a small agency was a significant investment, which what I'm really proud of is I've gotten a trainer for my executive committee. And then I've also gotten a trainer for myself. So I think that also working towards how we treat each other, how we respect each other, how we show up for each other. You know, we always talk about us ourselves as an H&S family. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the agencies that retain people the most are the ones that are treating their employees that way, right? We're treating them not just as the workforce, but they're like, you know, we're, we spend a lot of time together. Right, right. We have to accommodate up and down. Right. I think those are really interesting observations, especially as you kind of progressed your culture, even to meet this this moment, right, in terms of what people are, are looking for. And that's what I'm, I'm really going to be watching closely in the industry is, you know, we are changed by this trauma <laughs> that we all went through, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and I think people are going to show up differently. And I think people's priorities are going to be different on the other end of this. And I don't think we know how that's going to shake out yet. I think we're, I think it's still a work in progress. And, you know, I do talk to some industry leaders who, again, this is, I will say they're, they're a minority, but that, you know, they just want to, they just want to pretend this never happened. They want to pretend the last 18 months was just, you know, a bad dream. And let's just, let's just, you know, flip the switch and everything can go back to normal. And I think they might be in for a rude awakening because, you know, things, things change and events like this change people fundamentally and what agency culture looks like and what people will want in terms of how they connect with other people, you know, how they feel engaged, I think, I think is, will be different. So I'm glad to hear that you're, you're ahead of that. And I'm, and I'm, and I, you, you have to have to keep me um, informed in terms of what shifts, because I mean, we are already seeing, right. I mean, so many companies are changing the way that they will work on the, on the other end of this. Um, some aren't, some are going back to the way it was. And, um, but I, you know, I, I mean, I'm also in the Bay area, so I, you know, I'm always on the forefront of how the workplace trends, like what's changing. And, um, so, you know, we're already seeing it here. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know how, what the great reset will be on, on, as we come out of this. It's going to be interesting as people go back to offices. And honestly, this is what I know is on a lot of leaders minds right now, because, um, 
there's so much unclear, unclear, no one's done it, right? We've never really done, I mean, I think, you know, Ketchum, who we were a complimentary business to, leaned into this idea of, you know, being able to work from wherever early. So, but I, but to truly have an office where you don't have to be there and where you have teams that, you know, how are we going, how we address the next year or two of going back to the office is going to be crucial because there's a lot of skepticism about the fact that people who aren't in the office out of sight, out of mind, they're not going to get as much face time. They're not going to be able to get promoted because they're not in those conversations happening in the office. So my thing that keeps me up at night right now as a CEO is how to create an equitable workplace where, because we have a new office, we're going to a fabulous new office on 21st street. I'm very excited about it, but it's not an office like the past. It's an office that feels more like a fabulous loft apartment, right? So you're going to come in and you're going to have amazing, you know, living room space and kitchen and area to like hang out, but you can't have every, there's not a desk for everybody and you're not going to be able to, you know, you can't accommodate everybody as we're growing because we're growing, thank God. But as you're growing, it's very hard to, to sort of think about what is the office of the future and how is that going to work with, with, you know, a workforce also that for us, is now not just in New York, right? There, we've got people in Portland, I've got someone in Seattle, I've got someone in Maryland. So how do you keep your culture together as yeah. everybody is like sort of spread out and all over the place? Right, no, I think that's a really good point in terms of what, what that agency, what the office of the future looks like. And, and you know, I'm hearing more and more agencies saying that like they're looking at their offices as a, as a convening space, right? A place where when you need collaboration or when you need to have, an in-person client meeting, or you know, for whatever reason, you need to be there, but there aren't set desks, and you have days where you say, "Look, I, I I'm not going to come in today." You know, one last question I was going to ask you about in terms of women and kind of tracking the course of their career. You know, I um, there, you know, there was the the, the new agency that launched, and I, I want to say it's called We Rise, um, but it was like this. It, it's built around this idea that you know, women want meaningful work. Um, but for different phases in their life, they want, they want it on their own terms. Um, and I w believe this agency's premise is, is um, giving part-time, having like part-time work that's paid well, that I, I think might even have benefits included, um, and that gives opportunities for people to grow because of the number of women that leave our industry in their 30s and maybe even their 40s and maybe even for reasons like menopause in their 50s, right? Like that just say, I cannot go at this pace. I like this work, but I don't want to do 60 hours a week. And I don't care if I get, don't get promoted because I'm good where I'm at. I just want to do the work. It's, it's engaging. And I want the intellectual, um, you know, exercise of doing it. So do you think that the industry will provide more paths that are not full-time work, you know, whatever, seven clients and all, you know, like, do you think there should be more paths for women, especially as they move through their lives? Yeah, I mean, I think right now we're, I don't know exactly if you're seeing this, but there's a there's a crisis of finding people right yes. now. Yes, oh, there's, absolutely, across the board. <laughs> I mean, we're looking for two people. Everyone I know is trying to hire. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's definitely some kind of a shift going on here right now mm -hmm. because people are not wanting to take the same jobs. I yeah. mean, they're leaving yeah. agencies in droves. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, you know, luckily we, we haven't seen it as much, but I, but we definitely, we went from, you know, no turnover to more than we've had in the past five years. And mm -hmm. it's because people are making different lifestyle choices. Right. Um, and actually it's been interesting because they've been young people who are 
Mm. either deciding they don't want to do this, this kind of work anymore. They want to work differently. They want a different path. They want more work-life balance. So, in a, you know, change happens when the business drives it. Right. That's what I want to say. Because it, so if the business is driving, we need to hire people. And if we can't find people to do the jobs that we need them to do the way they've been done traditionally, mm-hmm. then we have to pivot and shift. So if that means we need to find ways to hire people freelance, if that means we need to find ways to, to do job sharing, which is something that actually Condé Nast did years ago that I always thought was interesting, where they would take a job and actually split it, where one person worked two days a week, the other worked two days a week, and then they split the, the last day. I think that this is a moment where everybody, leadership is having to look at different scenarios because it's not working the way it's working right now. Um, and so I think it's gonna be a really interesting path. I, I do wanna mention that one of the partnerships we have right now is with Reframe. It's really, it's been around DE&I, but really what it's about, it's about creating a platform for workplace maturity that will accommodate all of these different mutations, right? So whether you wanna have employees part-time, whether you want them, you know, how you create a mature workplace that will then accommodate all these changes because PR is kind of tradition. You know, we are a little bit of a traditional agency um, model, I think a little bit, but this is a great opportunity, I think for us to like blow it up and reinvent it, but you're going to need tools. Yeah. So if anybody wants to hear more about reframe, let me know because it's a really interesting tool and one that I didn't know about until we partnered with them. And one that I think is going to be very helpful for certain um, brands and companies. Oh, that's great. I mean, and I would, this is like, I feel like we've just started what will be our next conversation, right? Is, you know, things are going to blow up. And to your point, like, I mean, even the traditional agencies, if they don't, if they don't sort of embrace that some amount of change that's happening, they will be left behind, right? So, um, and again, I don't, I don't think anyone knows exactly what that will look like yet, but we are at this inflection point. And, and so Elizabeth, it sounds like we're going to have to have you back at some point to talk about what, what this looks like as we, as we kind of crawl out of this pandemic and have a clearer picture of that. Yeah, no, thank you. This is so great. I love, you know, I, I, I think these, these conversations are so important. So I really, I applaud you for giving people like myself and others a platform to be able to talk about these things. And I'm super optimistic, actually. Like I, last year was obviously a horrible year in a lot of ways. Um, You know, I was so blessed and lucky. I mean, one of the nice things about being older is my children were not school age. (laughs) They were actually in college. So yay, I wasn't like sitting in front of a Zoom trying to get my 10 year old to like focus. So I feel like so blessed really and grateful that I actually had this year to you know, it was a, it was somewhat of a traumatic year. I, you know, I bought my agency back. There were a lot of things involved in that, but I was able to reflect. I was able to really take this time to like dream in a way about what I want moving forward and what I want for the people who work for me. So I think people, I hope that our industry is, um, is going to grow and flourish. I think that we've never been more important. Storytelling has never been more important than right now. Right. So I think that brands are seeing that. I think the kind of work we're being asked to do is so exciting and so engaging. So I just, I, you know, I, I think there's room for every agency right now to grow and to do amazing work. And I'm, I'm super, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm in this industry. I love what I do. I still wake up every morning for the most part 
you know, happy to, to show up and do what I do. So I, yeah. I think that's a lucky thing. No, and I, and to, to your point, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you saw the numbers, but I mean, you know, last year at this time, if you would have told me that the PR industry will only be down 4% in 2020, I wouldn't have believed that, right? I mean, we, we looked around, we saw mass layoffs. We saw people, you know, look, you know, everyone's status updates, you know, open for work, open for work. So that, that, the, that the industry is only down 4% speaks volumes to what you're saying, that it's never been more important. And then in the U.S., it was only down 1%. I mean, that is pretty remarkable, right? And, and to your point, I mean, I, I, I've had agencies tell me they are turning away one agency told me they're turning away two to $3 million of business a month because they cannot find talent. So, um, so we are, I mean, yes, I mean, it is, the demand is, is stronger than ever. The industry is more important than ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a part of it is, is going to be sort of figuring out and embracing um, change and, and meeting the workforce and, and also meeting client expectations and kind of having all of these things met, meld together. Um, well, Elizabeth, this was such a great conversation. And of course, we, we because you're so interesting, we covered more than just ageism. Um, but, um, and, and again, lots of fodder for, for future conversations. Um, thank you again for, for joining the show. Okay, thank you. And, and we will be back again in a few weeks with another episode of the Provoke Media Podcast. been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.